White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 692. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. From the fabulous White Rocket Studios in Southern Illinois and in Cincinnati, one of the four corners of the news world, it is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. We are back with the second half of our look at the epic, majestic, gigantic end of the Shadow War <clears throat> into the fire. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, joined as always by my co-host, Andy Fix. Andy, are you out there? I am here, sir, and I'm, I'm excited. This I've been looking forward to this more than our, our conversation about the episode. This is going to be fun. I love hearing what... Our, our patrons have to say that they are awesome and insightful and intelligent, and it's always fun to, to listen and, and talk about their, their insights. Absolutely. So fun, so fun. And I, what I did was a week or two ago, I posted on our Patreon page. So folks out there, if you want to be part of things like this in the future, go to www.b5review.com, click on the button to become a patron, and you can come to our message board area and leave questions and comments that we talk about and address on the air. Um, and plus, you help to support the show so we don't have to have commercials. Um, but yeah, what we did was in our previous episode, Andy and I did our standard format of a few uh, points and notes and observations. We went through our categories of best this and best that and everything. Did all of kind of the standard boilerplate stuff that we always do. But for the really big episodes, they used to call them the Wham! episodes. Uh, George Michael was never on them, and yet they were the Wham! episodes. Um, we come back and we kind of revisit for a little while, the same episode, but we talk about deeper dives into the lore, into the discussion, and we have feedback from the listeners, the patrons, and so on. So, we are talking about episode 406, Into the Fire, the end of the Shadow War, and Andy and I, at the end of our last episode, rated, we both rated it what? 5.0. Out of 5, yes. And that was amazing. I'm so excited that we both thought of it that well. And now we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty stuff that we didn't really have time to do in the previous episode. So, uh, Andy, I'm going to just throw some stuff out at you. I like when you react to stuff that I've dug up and whatever, so let's just keep that going a little bit, and then we're going to get into the feedback. Okay? Yep. All right, here we go. Now, here was a question I came up with. Um, when, you know, this ends up being... Um, being shared and bringing everybody together to kind of force an outcome. But the question I have is, was JMS planning as far back as the coming of Shadows to have it come out this way? What exactly did Kosh know or expect? Because you remember, Kosh says this will end in fire. Did, did Kosh think this was going to end in a big war between the Shadows and the Vorlons? Because you remember... 
the the Vorlons never got involved at all with the shadows until Sheridan got in Kasha's face and said, "Get off your encounter suited butt and do something." And that was fairly late in the series, relative the third right. season. So. Right. What did Kosh mean by it will end in fire if he didn't ever plan on getting involved? I think he foresaw the Vorlons attacking all the shadow-tainted worlds and the shadows attacking all the Vorlon-tainted worlds. Wow. I think he was talking about it will end in fire for the younger races. Wow. Okay. So he did kind of expect a kind of a galactic Armageddon, really. Just a conflagration. Right. He wasn't expecting the Vorlons and the shadows to... to to attack each other directly because he he still understood the the rules and and what right. you know what what the the rules of engagement were so he just assumed or thought that if it came if if the the alliance forced their hands that the shadows and the vorlons would just wipe out everybody it really was a proxy war kind of like the cold war where the u.s and the soviets were kind of getting the african countries and the asian countries and the latin american countries to fight each other uh, and occasionally so. intervening on one side or the other, but never both at the same time. Yeah, right. That's right. interesting. Absolutely. That is interesting. Or, or okay. for, from the Nazi perspective, the the Americans were fighting a proxy war through the Russians. Yeah, with Lynn Lease and the whole. That's right. Yeah, right. I've, I've been studying up on that a lot. I, I tell you what, I'll, you know, we throw in other influences every now and then. I just recently reread War, uh, The Winds of War and War and Remembrance by Herman Woke, and. Um, Man, it's so you don't get it from the TV show as much, but there's so much about how the U.S. was able to influence the outcome of the war between the Nazis and the Soviets by giving so much equipment to the. Mm-hmm. To, it was a, it was Russian blood and American machines, basically. Funny how history repeats itself. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, well, really. Oh, I know. I saw the other day. I saw a thing that said. Germany to send tanks into Ukraine. I'm like, is this 1941? Wait a minute. What what year is this? (laughs) Not quite the same way, though, but they are going to be used to shoot Germans again. I mean, Russians. Well, well, that's our whole history issue. That's the the reason why the Germans were so reluctant to send tanks in was because they didn't want everybody to see them sending (laughs) tanks into Ukraine again. They They didn't want people going, is it 1941 again? Right. As long as they don't call this uh, Operation Barbarossa, we'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, the we know that there was some mention. You know, Mister Morden said that we have allies. You'll you're not done with this, right? And uh, the shadows do have allies. We can get that in the spoiler space. I want to ask you something about that in the spoiler space. Uh, there was a there was a unanswered question. What becomes of Zahadum? Well, we know. We can talk about that in the spoiler space. Um, what about the Vorlon homeworld? And I, I'm wrestling with that one because I don't think it's a spoiler to say you don't get as direct of an answer about the Vorlon homeworld as you do the Shadow homeworld, right. or Lorien's homeworld, I guess. But there's like two other episodes that might address it. It's kind of vague, isn't it? It is, very much okay. so. Just like and, everything about the Vorlons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then finally, Lorien. I mean, he says he waited a long time for somebody to find him. I guess that was somebody other than the Shadows. Right, or the and Vorlons. could he have gotten Anna to jump off the cliff before she got turned into a processing unit? And then she could have found him. And I, I, I never fully understood. And, I, and maybe we're not supposed to. It may just be beyond our pay grade. They're, he's basically a god. But I never fully understood Lorian's whole thing. Was he just waiting there for somebody to come along that could pull the sword out of the stone, basically? 
Yes, that that's that's how I took it. He was just waiting for. He wasn't just waiting for somebody to find him. He was waiting for somebody to find him that could change the galaxy. Right. He was waiting for the the once in future king to come along and yeah, like you said, pull the sword out of the stone. Absolutely. The the fulcrum that the galaxy turns on, and if you right. find yourself asking the question, could one person change history like that? Because there are schools of history that say there are just great tides of history and one person can't do it. Well, that question has been addressed by this show, too. It just hasn't come yet. That episode is coming. And it is right. some people's favorite episode. Hmm. You know the one of which I speak, yes? I, I, am, I, I can guess, yes. Toward, toward the end of uh, yeah. this season, yeah. It was a last-minute replacement episode, too, and yet it's some people's favorite. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right, so we'll. I, have yeah, a little... I, I, I would. I look forward to hearing more about that when we okay. talk about that episode. Um, yeah, yeah, we will. We will. When we get to it for sure. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this in spoiler space too. We didn't have a spoiler space in the last one in the last episode. All right. Um, here's the thing, and I got a couple of things about this because we talked about this a little bit already. Um, the scene in which Lorian tells Ivanova about his people and about his immortality was originally written for The Long Night, the previous episode. That's why it takes place aboard Babylon 5 rather than the White Star. This forces a rather strange detour to the station when Ivanova would have wanted to head directly to the scene of the battle, but instead she comes back to the station to catch up with the fleet, quote-unquote. Lorian says, I was told you were ready to leave. And I'm like, what? The, the woman isn't packing fast enough for you, Lorian? How long were you waiting in the cave, dude? You can't give Susan five seconds to throw a T-shirt in a backpack or whatever she's doing? Come on. Come on. Come on, Lorian. Come on. Come on, man. So, um, so they're going to go off and look for more first ones. Now, by the way, let me digress for just a second. Lori, they were looking for the first ones. Susan thinks they need the firepower. That's not why they were looking for the first ones, was it? No. It's because the bus is leaving and Lorian wants everybody on the bus. Right. It, it, right. That would be more incentive for the Vorlons and the Shadows to say, Ooh, wait, all these, all these people that we see, our peers, are telling us it's time to go. And, and we might be alone. Right. <laughs> I'm just never going to get yeah. past that. I can't. It's right. just be too good. Because the first ones were still... Those first ones were still in the galaxy, so the Shadows and the Vorlons still felt their presence, yes. I'm sure. So knowing that they were all leaving, yeah, like like you said, yeah. the, the Shadow with his little plaintive <laughs> voice. Was, oh, I just want to pet the Shadow, Andy. I can't help it. <laughs> did they make a little plush Shadow? I feel like no. they did. I feel like no. they made a little plush Shadow. They, if they did, they didn't. <laughs> All right. I, let, me yeah. ask the, let me ask the listeners and the patrons, did you ever see a plush shadow? Because I feel like that should have been a thing and might have been. All right. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I'm sure somebody has 3D printed one by now. But oh, a little, sure. little plushy one, though. All right, so anyway, to cover the inconsistency of moving it to the other episode and all that, they put an extra line of voiceover. And I noticed that it was a voiceover because you don't see Susan's mouth move. Or it's right. off screen when she's moving and the right. you hear it. 
um, was added to the first scene of the episode, Ivanova telling Lori they need to get back to Babylon 5 and rejoin the fleet. Um, one of our patrons did catch this and had a question about it, so there's kind of the answer. I might address it again when we get to it. But let me ask you about that, too, though. That What that scene was there for was that it gave that whole little philosophical diatribe from Lorian where he says, you know, I, I'm, I've lived forever, so... Uh, who cares about love? I'm sure there's a rock or country song lyric I could quote. Um, oh, uh, yeah, Queensryche. I don't believe in love. Um, it's a great song. But um, but but he tells Susan, your people live such a brief time that you have the illusion that love and all these things can last forever, and you should embrace that because that illusion, that lie, may be the greatest gift that humans have ever received. Right. And I'm like, I don't know how to respond to that or react to that. What do you think? I, I thought that was very arrogant and and dismissive of Lorian. condescending a little bit. Very, very condescending. Yeah, I I did not agree with that at all. And and, and I, I because as Sheridan and Delenn has proven, love is what it, it is driving their passion to 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 change the galaxy. I mean, it, it's you know. It, Love is a huge force in, in this show. I mean, in life in general, but especially in this show. And yeah. and for him, to, it sh- I think it shows him to be not an omnipotent god, mm. but as just another elder being that needs know to it move all. on. Right. He needs <laughs> to move on because he doesn't understand. <clears throat> he wouldn't, <clears throat> excuse me, he wouldn't be able to understand that. I mean, that's why he's so dismissive of it, because it seems so useless to him, but that as the younger races are showing it is that that's moving the older races out of the galaxy it it may say more about him than it does about humans and ivanova exactly but you know what though it's also something susan needed to hear regardless yes absolutely what, that one line that one line that she said was what what does your heart tell you and she goes eh, me and my heart don't talk anymore exactly and that was that was heartbreaking to, to hear yes. her say that Yes. Well, if, if only there was somebody around that just worshipped the ground she walked on, but... Uh, if only. Spoiler, spoiler. All right, all right, good stuff. Um, all right, so we have, I have a little bit more to say about that, but not a ton. All right, here is... We've gotten to the part I was really looking forward to in this episode, among other things. I mean, obviously, the, the listener feedback is good, but here is something that I was wanting to share with you and the listeners, because I read it yesterday. I went and dug out my Dream Given Form book, okay? And I've, I got this thinking it would help us with this podcast, and honestly, it hasn't helped worth a flip so far. It's a fine <laughs> book, but everything in it I either already knew or I've been finding you know, when I go and get the other information from here and there. So right. it has not yet proven to be a treasure trove of trivia and information that I hoped it would be. Until yesterday... This is not a trivia thing I found. This is just a very short little essay. And I, will, I would like to beg your indulgence to let me just read this to you because I think it sums up what we were saying. And I think I can read things in such a way that it's not boring because I do this for a living. But, but, um, Please. But I think it sums up what you and I were both trying to say. All right. Um, here is what the author uh, Inslee F. Guffey and K. Dale Koontz, what they say. And I think it's, it just sums it up perfectly. Here we go. 
Into the Fire is a remarkable episode of television, particularly so for the time when it first aired. The Shadow War has been the dominant arc for the entire series, with almost every major plotline bending toward it from the very beginning. By all rights, the climax of the war should be the series finale, with the enemies being defeated in a massive battle marked by brilliant leadership and extraordinary acts of bravery in combat. That's exactly what you were saying, Andy. Instead, not as what you were advocating, but you were noting that that's how you would expect it. Right. Right. Instead, it occurs in episode six of season four, and victory comes from understanding what is actually going on. This is radically different from what American television viewers had been trained to expect. Ooh, trained to expect. And Straczynski took obvious pleasure, I mentioned this previously, at the level of consternation of the, that the episode produced among fans. All right, now it continues. It just gets better. This is so good. The true reveal in this episode is that the entire series is a Bildungsroman, which I think is like a coming-of-age story, okay, in probably German. Yeah, that sounds German. Sounds German. It's got too many syllables, and they just glue words <laughs> together to make a word, right? <laughs> Only instead of dealing with a single person's coming of age, Babylon 5, the entire series, Babylon 5 does it for an entire galactic generation. Genera- not, not a person, not a family, not a planet, not a race, a galactic generation. Wow. Okay. This is a staggering achievement, made even more so because JMS and company take the hard way to get there. The League of Non-Aligned Worlds victory, I guess they mean this, the the Army of Light's victory, is not a military one, not a case of the child... Hear me now and remember me later. Okay, this is is it. This is the core of it right here. The, the, The Army of Light's victory is not a military one, not a case of the child of bullies finally growing strong enough to violently overthrow the parents. Oh, that's good. Not, I'm going to say it again, not a case of the child of bullies finally growing strong enough to violently overthrow his parents. That would just replace one bully with another. All right, let that sink in for a second. Instead, adulthood, galactic adulthood, comes with the realization and acceptance of the simple fact that choices come with consequences and you have to be responsible for both. Importantly, as Sheridan and Delenn note in the episode's final scene, this is not an ending at all, but a beginning, the start of that third age the series has been hinting at since The Gathering. It is not even a promise of happily ever after. It's just a guarantee of being able to make one's own mistakes. Sheridan and Delenn's victory is one of freedom and self-determination for dozens of races and dozens more to come. And while that sounds grand, it is also terrifying. For there are now no more Dea Ex Machina to swoop in and save the day or I would say, or to say, you are not ready, right? Or to blame for unleashing the latest horrors. I would say third space, we still can blame them for unleashing the latest horror, but spoiler. There's just us, and whatever the Vorlons have hidden in hyperspace. There's just us. I'm putting a little editorial comments from knowing stuff beyond this. 
It is a frightening and I'm getting close to the end. It is a frightening and often problematic metamorphosis for individuals, and one can only assume that it will be even more so for entire species. All right, last little bit here. Realizing this kind of meaningfully fraught victory on television is a grand achievement and deserves to be lauded alongside the long arc as one of Babylon 5's great gifts to television storytelling. JMS and company have moved the story far beyond the usual trope of a final beatdown or a shootout in the middle of the street and moved it into the realm of real possibilities. Where do the characters in the show go from here? What does taking responsibility really mean when you get down to the nitty-gritty in the day-to-day? What happens when the only resources you have to call upon are your own and those of the people who have chosen to share the load with you? Failure is most definitely an option, and success is terribly uncertain. In the Babylon 5 universe, the old certainties are now gone, and the future is unknown and unknowable. Boom. Mic drop. Man, I thought those two writers there, whoever wrote that, it's usually one that kind of does that kind of stuff. I just thought that that's just a slam dunk. Absolutely. That was closes stated. Oh, my gosh. I read that, and I'm just like, Andy's got to hear this. The, the viewer, the listener, our listeners have got to hear this. If they, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have read this book. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty popular, well-done book. But just this was the time, right? I mean, that just summed it up. I thought, dang. So Yeah, right. absolutely. All right. Whew. Um, great job by them. Um, all right, I have a few JMS speaks to throw at you and get your reaction to. Let's see. Yeah, he says, one of the things about the way events come to a head and finish in this episode is very unnerving. Okay, now what? That's what they were just saying. The ongoing conflict has become something you could count on. You knew the rough shape of what might be coming along. Now that's all kicked over, and you have to get on with the next, next aspect, making a new life. What interests me, JMS says, what I wanted to do with making this show is in large measure to examine the issues and emotions and events that precede a war, precipitate a war, the effects of the war, and the end of the war, and the aftermath of the war. The war is hardware. The people are at the center of the story. So, so far, the general reaction has been, but but what now? Which is exactly the reaction I was hoping for. Everybody keeps commenting, this is the sort of episode you have at the end, not six episodes into your season. And he says, yep, we're funny that way. Now comes the more fun. Again, it's all about process. And he goes into some other details there I won't go into. But, um, but I like the idea that JMS knew people were going to have a weird reaction to this. And he was kind of relishing that as if to say, I told you so. And you're, you're missing the point And... Right. He likes to argue, right? I mean, we can just kind of <laughs> sum it up there. So, I don't know. So, any thoughts about all of that? The whole about how how it ended and what it was and where we're going next? Uh, just as I stated before, this is the most Babylon Five way to end this. I mean, this is this is the way JMS writes. I mean, this is this is the way he tells stories. So it 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 surprised me when it happened, but you know, looking back retrospectively. It's not a surprise at all. We should have all seen this coming. I mean, this th- there is no way that this war was going to end in a big space battle. I mean, this it, it, it was. It's all about the the like he like he said. It's about the 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 person, about the people and their relationships and everything. And this was, I mean, just a, a relationship writ large. You know, on a galactic scale. And it was. Got- it was. It, it was. It was. It was not only the the younger races 
um, claiming adulthood and and realizing they don't need their parents anymore. Mm -hmm. But it was also the parents realizing that their children are now adults and Mm -hmm. they don't need to try to force them to follow the path anymore that, that that they can go on their own path and the parents need to you know need to accept that and move on themselves absolutely absolutely um two things one doesn't it feel like with this conversation we've been having over these two episodes doesn't it feel like we should be at the end of the series though i mean there's a there's a point to that that well yeah that that last scene of this episode felt like a, a, a sign off of the series of like, the whole yep. show we're done yeah, walk away right. My, my Drive safely, like, everybody. Right. My wife was like, "Wait a minute, is, is, there's more to this, right?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, there's more to this." All right, I have I have another point, and I don't want to lose sight of it. Oh, I do. Okay, but tell me what your wife's reaction was. We're all dying to know. She was shocked. I mean, she, it was everything that that I said before. She was expecting a great big gigantic space battle, and she had the exact same reaction that Marcus had. She was like, "Wait a minute." Did they win? <laughs> I mean, what, what's going on here? So, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I just outlined it to her just like I, I laid it out here was, you know, that this isn't that this wasn't a war mm-hmm. about armies. This was a war of, of ideologies. And that's, the Army that's of Light could not have won a shooting war under any circumstances. Not a there. chance. And they show that in this episode, yes. even when they were attacking that that Warland outpost, they were getting their butts beat. I mean, just you just know, to they, take out one little outpost. Yeah, right. All right, here's the question I have for you, and we might revisit it again at the end of Season 4. All the way through watching these as it the first time, right? Back in the late 90s when we were watching these, I kept asking myself, which storyline is going to end first? Which, are, which is going to be resolved first? The Clark Civil War or the Shadow War? And I was 90-10 that the Clark War would end first because it seemed like the smaller, more petty, right. you know what I mean? And yep. I was shocked when the whole freaking Shadow War ended before we even address Clark and the situation, the coup on Earth. But right. then once it happened, okay, once I wrapped my brain around it, as Londo said, then I realized, yes, because the Earth War, this time it's personal. You know what I mean? The Shadow War was to save the galaxy, but the Earth War is personal. And I would even go so far as to say that the Earth War was about armies. It wasn't about ideologies. It was about just one madman trying to, you know, take over the, the, the government and the galaxy. Well, not the galaxy, but Earth's sphere of influence. So it... And this, it was kind of like Jameis's payoff, giving us our expectations. You know, okay, you want a big space battle? Boom, you're going to have your big space battle. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, yeah, the the Earth War, it it was personal for the members of Babylon Five, but it wasn't big on a galactic epic scale. It it was it was just one madman being a jerk and yeah. and. And having to put him in his place. So, yeah, in retrospect, it made sense to me that it went the order it did. I just didn't expect it going in. I, I should have, but I didn't. I, I, I agree. I, it it kind of surprised. Because you kind of forgot about the, the whole yeah. Clark side of things. Because once the Shadow War started, you're like, oh, everything is going to come to a head now. Well, no. The, no, that's right. The whole Earth thing, like you mentioned earlier, Earth didn't even know the Shadow War was going on. Clark was still doing his stuff. Uh. Clark was still playing in... And Earth played zero, 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 zero. Yeah. I mean, they they weren't involved at all, except no. for there was a, a few you know star theories there. But 
that was just because they were on Babylon Five. So Earth Earth really played no part in that in that war at all. Neither did the Centauri. They didn't. They were involved, but they they did not contribute. You know, against right. The, they weren't the, part of the, the Army guys. of Light. I don't think they were ever right. part of the Army of Light. No, they never were. <laughs> they, yeah. they never were. No. Um, well, the Centauri and the Earth were both kind of dark, so there weren't going to be right. any army of light with them. We, the right. only human, ar- the only human part was the was the light part was the Babylon Five contingent, and that's where Severed Dreams came in. Yeah, right. Um, um, I, I keep thinking when JMS says, you know, oh well, the the Shadow War ended, but we're not done because I wanted to see, you know, kind of what comes after that and all that. And I, I just keep thinking, well, yes. And you still have the Clark storyline, so let's don't get a little. Let's don't get too, you know. Now we go to the grandiose a- aftermath of the war, right? Because we move right on pretty soon into the into the Earth thing and the Minbari thing too. We kind of forget that, but there's a whole Minbari right. civil war out there too brewing. Yeah, I'm firmly convinced that JMS had every intention of giving us the big flashy space battle by the end of the series. Yeah. That he, that he did. Well, I mean, it, it, he couldn't. I know he was twisting the expectations for the end of the Shadow War and going, you know, going cerebral. But this, I mean, there had to be a big space battle just because, like the author was saying, that you know, American audiences, I'd say global audiences, are trained, trained to yeah. expect, you know, the, these big conflicts to end in a big conflict. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, and and as we know, that would have been season five, right? The original plan right. was that. We wouldn't get to the Clark thing until, and I, I I I expect it would have been another like episode six type deal probably. Right, I right. I read somewhere where JMS said, you know, everybody says that we had a truncate season four, and we did, but the Shadow War lasted as long as it was supposed to last. He said, yeah. I cut out maybe two episodes of the mm. Shadow War stuff. Mm. It always would have ended before midway through the fourth season. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, there would have been a two. Into the fire was going to be a two-parter, right? So, so that's at least one. But that's about all that you really lost, I think. Yeah, probably. he he said the Shadow War ran its course. You know, yeah. I I had nowhere else to go with that. He said we could have done some more flashbang explosiony thingies, but you know, I, I figured the audience was getting tired of seeing that, so, so I wanted to, to wrap it up. So yeah, and that's I why think- I say. Rather rather than the end of the Earth War happening toward the end of season four, it would have I think been about midway. Yeah, kind of what it did here early. That's what I'm saying. Episode six, episode seven of of, of season five. The rest would have been the the, the politics of of where to go afterwards. Yeah, yeah, this this, more or less what you get. I've always felt like the stuff in season, and again, I want to get a spoiler space, but just very vaguely, uh, because everybody knows that season five is not regarded as highly because everything got pulled, a lot of stuff got pulled out of it. And I yep. think that what it really was was just he kind of had to insert some extra episodes in there almost as filler. And, yeah. you know, because so many of the important characters are gone by season five. Right. That it just feels a little watered down and you don't have the Earth War and that's too bad. Um, all right. Um, let me see more JMS stuff. Um, I've talked about some of this already. Ah, this is interesting. Why somebody asked him why was it the Vorlon there shown in its true form? In other words, why do we see Kosh rather than the jellyfish? And JMS says because we would still be rendering it. There are 114 effect shots in that episode, and as it was, we just barely made the satellite uplink. 
if it wasn't absolutely necessary, better to do it simply. As it was, we were rendering the shadow form, and we couldn't do the Vorlon too. Um, yeah, so that's why we get the little Kosh guy standing there instead of like the little jellyfish. Right. Um, somebody said, are you happy with having to hurry season four along in case the show isn't renewed? So he was asked this before, the, before it even was done about right. season five. He says, truth, I go back and forth. The end of the fire thing, for instance, it would have likely been a two-part episode, but it still would have ended up exactly where it ended up. A few more big explosions, but I wonder also if that really adds anything past a certain point. From a production standpoint, since Into the Fire darn near killed us in the CGI department, it's probably a darn good thing it didn't go for two episodes. That puppy had something around 120 or 140 effect shots. Um he says, overall, I'm actually quite happy how this season's going in terms of the intensity arc and the emotions and incidents. Parts would have been a bit more laid back if I had decided not to cover my bets on renewal of season five with season five. And maybe the situation has worked out to be the best. Again, the art by accident principle. So I don't know. All I know is what's in the episodes this season, and it's pretty cool overall. I agree. Uh, Ed Wasser wanted to come back as an alien. He said, I see no problem with this. That was always their thing, right? When your human character gets killed, you could come back as an alien, maybe. Right. Slap some makeup on him. Um, somebody Did he asked, ever come back as an alien? I don't think he ever came back, no. Right. That's one character I wish they had brought back in some kind of a flashback or one of the, uh, the little lost tales or something. That would have been cool yeah. to see. Well, all right, spoiler, but okay, can't say it. Um... <laughs> The shadow's voice was definitely Morden, Ed Wasser. Was it? So when the little shadow says, Will you, will you yeah. come with us? That, that was Ed Wasser, yeah. I had no idea. He said, yes, that was Ed's voice. It seemed apropos. Any, somebody asked, any significance to Morden's pendant? And he says it may have its uses. So, that, again, that's addressed in the Technomage books, apparently. I, it's been so long since I read those books. We might have to completely, I'm going to have to completely reread everything we discuss in terms of books because I don't remember hardly any of them. Same. I, I haven't even read all of them. I, I got the... Uh, the, uh, the tech, You got the... Centauri, uh, the Psychor The Psychor one, yeah. Cycor, I got yeah. the Psychor. I got to say, it's, it's dang hard to get the Centauri trilogy. Those things are hundreds of dollars yeah. a piece, so good luck with that. I'll have to probably mail you mine when, when we get to right. it. Um, let me see. They talked about the music a little bit. Eh. Why were the other first ones still around? Well, he says, they were all still hanging around for one reason or another, mostly to do with inertia, familiarity, but they finally recognized it was time. The Sigma 957 ship was one of the first one ships, yes. Um, and let's see. Yeah, we saw that one in the big space battle, too. Yeah, yeah, that was the one from Sigma 957, the Walkers. Right. Yep. Um, any relation between the Vorlon representative's outfit in the Block of Ice and Ivanova's outfit in All Alone in the Night Dream? And he says, no, no relation. I just wanted a sense of something that was both ancient and ageless, frozen, formal, and distant. The woman was in ice as a symbol of the Vorlon's rigidity, their inflexibility, frozen in time, as the shadows say. Yep. Okay, here's a good one. Two ancient, somebody asks him this. Two ancient adversaries gave up just because Delin and Sheridan told them to? And JMS says, I think that for me, what mitigates against that is, A, it wasn't just Delin and Sheridan. It was virtually every other major civilization backing their play, which is what we just talked about. Yep. 
and adding their support, their voice, even being willing to die, thank you, for the sake of this uh, confrontation. If it were just the two of them, they'd be scragged. The two forces needed to be shown that the others had turned against them and their true faces had been exposed. Amen. That is 100% correct. Uh, The other key for me, JMS says is that neither the Vorlons nor the Shadows saw themselves as conquerors or adversaries. Both believed they were doing what was right for us, and like any possessive parent, they, they'll keep on believing that until the kid is strong enough to stand up and say, no, this is what I want. Yep. There you go. Uh, he talks about comparing this to Jimmy Carter, Anwar Sadat, and, and Menachem Begin getting together in a room and working things out. Uh, there is definitely a parent-child, parent dynamic going on there in that Lorian is, in a way, in that role to the Vorlons and Shadows. They're in that role to us, and we're in that role to those who will follow. It's the endless cycle. I addressed that a minute ago. Um, you could almost argue the whole scene with the Vorlon and the Shadows is a classic intervention out of psychotherapy or group counseling. <laughs> and he says, very early on, the producer John Copeland asked me, okay, bottom line it for me, what's the war about? And JMS says, I said, it's about killing your parents. And Copeland's eyes went wide, and I explained, no, not literally, but at some point you have to step outside the control of your parents and create your own life, your own destiny. That process is is inevitable, and if there are indeed older races and they're interfering, that puts them smack in the middle of the same process. It's not about who has the biggest gun, because there's always somebody with a bigger gun. It's about understanding your way out of a problem. Boom. Yep. All right. And then the last thing from him, and then we'll get to the listeners. Will we ever learn why the first Kosh was more sympathetic to the younger races than his replacement? JMS says, that's a good question, and one of the things I'd like to do, but which I can't see any way to do in the series, is the whole story of who Kosh was, how he got to be who and what he was, why, we talked about this one before, why he felt the way he did toward humans. Part of it was knowing Valen. Mm. Interesting. He knew Valen back in the day. Yeah. Maybe this will have to go into one of the novels. Did Kosh go to B5 knowing the conflict would soon be over? JMS says, I think Kosh came late to the table. I don't think he came to Babylon 5 with that intent, but it grew in him over time that this cycle had to end and he could be instrumental to that. The main motive for going beyond the rim, there's a heck of a big Taco Bell out there. There's where that came from. The notion of the Vorlons and shadows representing order and chaos goes back to the Babylonian creation myths, that the universe was born in the conflict between the order and chaos, hence part of the reason I decided to name this show after Babylon. That's called research. It informs the show, but it is not the show. Um, And then finally he says something about Londo seems to be creating the very future he hoped to avoid. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Ooh, any other thoughts about all of that before we get into the patron comments and questions? That'll be our last big stop tonight. I think we have exhausted the discussion. I think we, we've touched on every major point. I think our discussion has, has lasted longer than the actual episode itself. So <laughs> it, has. I think, it has. We knew that. I think, I think we covered it pretty well. I hope we haven't exhausted our listeners. I hope they're finding this No, no, I'm not exhausted. I'm saying we have exhausted everything every, yeah. Everything that, that we... I'm sure our listeners will prove us wrong and give us more insight than yes. to discuss. But that, <laughs> I, that's why I've, we have... Well, 
That's well, why we have to belong to, to, to pick up our slack. Absolutely, and we have plenty of slack. No, I found this all really interesting. <laughs> all right, uh, all right, here we go. And I'm, I have them in chronological order that they came in. That's how Good. I have, have them ordered. And as, I've, as I mentioned in the last episode, this is where the comment stood. Sometime, I want to say Thursday night, Friday morning was the last time I went and, and uh, harvested comments and questions. Uh, so anything that comes in after that will have to be saved for uh, episode 407, uh, the 407 episode. All right. The Geek which Boy. Is normally, which is how we normally do it anyway. That's right. That's right. I just yeah. asked for these in advance because I wanted to be able to do right. this. The Geek Boy. Hi, Hey, guys. I've always felt that End of the Fire was a great, all capital letters, great episode, compromised by JMS having to compress season and four and five main plot points into one year. According to Jane Killick's Season by Season Guide to B5, I had those, by the way, those little separate books with each season of Babylon 5 by Jane Killick. I had those. Andy's holding up the Season 4 one right now, that really creepy cover with the lady. Um, I sold them or gave them away ages ago, but I did buy each one of them and read them cover to cover very thoroughly. Yes. Uh, I do still have, though, by the way, I'm sorry, Geek Boy, to interrupt your thing, but I do still have the Babylon 5. Files books one and two. Those are the unauthorized. The one that Andy had there, the Killick book. Those are the authorized, made by Warner's episode mm-hmm. guides. The Babylon Files are a two-volume book by I want to say a British writer, and they are unauthorized. But they are also very interesting, very well done. Although he really doesn't like. It's like the first volume gets you up into season three, maybe into early season four, and he's loving it. And then Volume 2 comes out, and it's just like, Volume 2 is just him crapping on everything as like, oh, I'm disappointed it didn't come out the way I wanted it to. And I'm like, uh. So I've gone back and reread the first book. I've pretty much ignored the Volume 2 ever since I first got it. So he says, um, the events of The End of the Fire were supposed to stretch out over two or more episodes. The end result was always going to be the same, but things would have had a little more breathing room. Surely he could have yanked out the illusion of truth. <laughs> That's a fair point. And extended this a little more. Oh, well, I'd rather have what we got than not had an ending at all. Yeah. I I, man, I, I just, I, I love the way that this worked out. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it, it worked well with the, the storyline. It worked well with the, the arc of the, the season. I, you know, for all the reasons we discussed, I, I thought, I, I really enjoyed it. And it was fun to relive it again. Oh, absolutely. Now I'm trying to remember what the illusion of truth was about. The fact that I can't is probably an indictment on, and, and probably a, te- uh, a support of his statement. I was going to say, though, the next episode is going to be Epiphanies, and I have no memory of what happens that episode. Hmm. Although, I got to say, this is just this is just me talking, okay? I don't know anything. I can't remember what happens in 407 Epiphanies. We're gonna, it's going to be a very, very revelation for me to watch it in a few days. But if JMS in the past is any guide, it will probably include somebody from the main cast being kidnapped by a thug that is poorly <laughs> acted. Right? It seems like every big moment in the show is right. followed by a somebody gets kidnapped by a terrorist episode. Am I wrong? Right, that, no, because they had to, to make up for the budget. Yeah. <laughs> they had to have a, 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 a closet show to, to make yes. up for the fact that they blew the, the three episodes worth of budget on the last space battle. I, I feel like every time this show has a big, big moment, the next episode is Richard Maul kidnapping them. Right. It seems like it. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's cheaper to shoot on it you is. know on the the sets with three actors in the entire episode than. I, bring bring back the organic armor guy from uh, right. Infection. <laughs> Why not, man? That was that cost him seven dollars. Come on. I'm probably overspending on that seven dollars. All right. Here comes our good buddy Allison Rich, great listener, great patron who always has good stuff. Here she goes. She has several comments for us. She says, uh, about the long night, 405. Great episode. I love this episode. Regarding the title of End of the Fire, we expect a huge action packed conclusion to Shadow War. Spoilers, of course, but secondly, Veer is a sensitive soul. He's got a very strong moral compass. Killing Cartagia was, of course, hard on him. He has to rise to the occasion in the Legion of Fire trilogy. Thirdly, I want a separate novel about Kosh. I really want that. Yeah, we talked about, we, and JMS talked about that. That's yep. very much so. I'm sure she's not alone in that sentiment. Right. F- and and honestly, um, well, Peter David, I think, would be my choice if he's, I, his health hasn't been great lately. But I, I, anything Babylon 5 in novel form, I want Peter to write. I thought Greg Keyes did a great job, and I thought Gene Cavalos did a great job. But right, and and freaking uh, what's her name, uh, JMS's wife at the time, right, did a good job. But Peter David ha- just has a way with storytelling that yes, he gets the big picture of, yeah. of something and has a great way of of involving everything and and. and just putting all the elements together. It's it's spectacular. He gets the, and not just with Babylon 5, but with anything. He Star writes. Trek, with Marvel. He gets yep. the big picture. He gets the little details. And he makes it feel like the show. Yeah, yes, yes. It doesn't does. feel like some alien thing with names bolted on it. It feels yep. like the show. Whether it's Star right. Trek or Babylon 5 or whatever. Yes. Right. Um, okay. Fourthly, says Allison... We talk about Erickson's sacrifice in 405, but the Mimbari are equally as dedicated. And Erickson says to Sheridan, their Mimbari, they know what they signed up for. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's a good point. Congratulations, she goes on, on solving your audio problems. It sounds great. Yeah, I'm so excited. We're great Excellent. tonight. Tonight's it's just only, been a joy. Yes, yes. only took us three and a half seasons. <laughs> I would love an online patron meetup via Zoom or some such thing at some point. I I I mentioned that last episode. I am totally down with that. I love Zoom meetings. If it was the if you know if we were coming up on the end of a season, I would be like, this would be a perfect time to do it. I don't know if we're at a good time to do it, but I'm up for it if you think so. I mean, it doesn't have to be right now. Whenever whenever it would fit in logically with our with our flow, yeah. I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Even we if could, even we if could, we even if we do it just for the patrons. Yeah. Well, for sure. Yeah. I would for well, the patrons. Would, I would post a link we on the Patreon have, page. Yeah, we would have to ask them to, to see if they would rather it be broadcast as a regular episode and just their involvement would be a thank you enough for their, their patronage mm-hmm. or if they want it just for them. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll try to remember to put something on the Patreon page just kind of saying, what do you guys think about this? And we can kind of go from there. Good yeah. deal. I um, think it would be fun just to see them all and talk to them, especially if we get the, the people from you know all over the, the world. We have a global audience, so it would be cool yeah. to to get people from like New Zealand and oh yeah, and France and all those places. That would be fun. She said, "I look forward to some video from you too." Oh, Allison. Oh no, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> oh my. She was Lord. not. She was not present for the the Sunday morning recording. <laughs> oh Lord, you didn't want any part of that. That oh, was rough. Man. That was rough. That was. <laughs> I mean, you you get a great look at 
at our studios and and stuff and my, my I, studio I, was my son's playroom so there's lego scattered about uh, cats running around <laughs> mine is i have my bookcase behind me with my argentinian flag from the world cup is still up i think i'm just gonna leave it up till it gets knocked down and then i'll take it down i'm not gonna take it down um Oh, and, and she says, bring the cat, Andy. Well, the cat's been <laughs> patrolling the screen the entire time we've been talking the last two episodes. I don't, I don't bring the cat. The cat allows me to, to do yeah. this in his presence. So. There you go. <laughs> All right. She says, speaking of other B5 podcasts, I love the British one entitled A Dream Given Form. I haven't, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that one. I'm not um, but that was actually the name of this book, so maybe I wonder if it's the same people. They're not doing commentary on episodes yet. They're talking about grand concepts of the show and character relationships. You guys should check it out. I think you'd appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Sound, maybe I will then. It sounds interesting. Definitely. It, I, 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 I will note that HBO Max has taken Babylon 5. Have, they, they did not renew their contract. So Yes. It is no longer available. So that huge audience of people that we had oh. viewing Babylon 5 for the first time, are no longer viewing, able to view, and that's heartbreaking. I mean, it is. I, there, there have been so many people on the Babylon Five Facebook group saying, "Hey, just started watching the show. I think it's fantastic." I feel bad for them because you know they may not have gone through all five seasons yet, and that's well, that's, that's harsh. If you're out there in in podcast land and that's happening to you, I'll tell you this: you can get the DVD sets really cheap now. And it's also on iTunes. I bought the entire series on Apple iTunes for twenty four ninety five. Yep, same here, same here. And and I know it's on um, Amazon Prime. You can yeah d- download it from them for last I saw it was like forty bucks for the entire series, which is still still shockingly cheap. Yeah. yeah, I mean you know if you have HBO Max for like. Two or three months, you pay that much anyway. So right, and and now you can't even watch it on there. So yeah, and you can't even watch it. So I, yeah, I, there are ways. I mean, I hate it that you have to pay anything, but but um, right. but there are ways to finish it if you really want to know, and it is worth it. Um, but yeah, I I have it. God, I have it so many ways now because we had it on HBO Max. I have it on Apple iTunes. I have all the DVDs, and I ripped all yep. the DVDs onto my Plex server, so I have separate <laughs> M4V files of every episode on my computer as well, on a hard drive. I have a hard drive with all kind of shows and movies stacked up on it. I have all B5 on there. That's where I was going to play the um, the episode until I remembered that you couldn't hear it, and so I have it open somewhere. But, in fact, let me see. Let me just check and see if you can still not... Um, let me see. Do you hear that? Oh, he can hear it. Commander's personal log. We're still searching for first ones to use. Well, there you go. All right. So, well, now it's, I, I, I had to find uh, what I'm looking for. Oh, wait. Here's a... Uh, hold on a second. This might be something. At once. There are three billion people here. The Vorlons would never attack a civilian population that big. The ships stay. Oh, his little smile. Hmm. You're afraid. Aren't you? Oh, look at Morden. They're afraid. And speaking of your associates, Uh-oh. we must make sure that we can talk privately. The guards all just moved out of the way. Do not move. There went the shadow. Just one. Yeah. And then... Say it, Londo. 
I will have to have that painted over, I suppose. <laughs> there we go. I just wanted to get that line out. That was my funniest line of the last episode. So, All right, that was fun. So, um, Oh, Allison has one more note. I know this is a controversial ending to End of the Fire, but I love it. Yay, Allison is on board with us. I absolutely love the cerebral nature of it. It's unexpected after all the violence and destruction of ships and planets dissolving from the inside. Okay. We get even these legendary first ones acting really vulnerable. I've done it so many times now, I'm not going to do it again. All of a sudden, the giants in the playground are done with their bullying and control of the younger races, and then they're gone, shepherded off beyond the rim by Lorien. I, yeah, I mean, I, ugh. And, and and they won't have to be alone. So I can't I can't help it. I just love it so much. All right. Leah G. Good old Leah G comes in and she's got a few points. I have so many feelings about this episode, although love is not one of them. I watched it four times just to see if that changed my perspective. Wow. Yes. To me, the episode seems disjointed, much like this post. Oh, don't be that way. And some of the dialogue unnecessary or out of place, like they tried to cram in scenes without much thought or they needed filler. For example, conversation between Lita and Marcus about why they are going to Coriana 6 instead of Centauri Prime. Yeah, that, that, well, that was to explain because you know one had six billion and one had three billion or whatever, but you'd have thought they'd have gone to Centauri Prime. It's an important planted in the one of the major powers and so they had to explain well but this is just numbers so i thought that was a right. very important conversation right. I did too. You know. like like you said there was no fat in this episode i thought yeah the hall ass discussion between delin and sheridan <laughs> i'd forgotten about that one i also yeah. noted that it looks like delin doesn't seem to be pleased with sheridan overruling her and telling her to leave of to have ivanova come to the fight yeah, well, Delenn does seem to get kind of cranky occasionally over, but they they have a weird power sharing relationship when they're about you know qu- king and queen of the galaxy. So, right, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'll when we get to it, I'll tell uh, what I said to what I said in the uh, when I moderated for the two of them for Mira Furlan and and Bruce Boxleitner at DragonCon a few years ago. I had what I thought was a really good line, so I'll I'll give that to y'all later when it's not a spoiler. Uh, she said, questions I had were, right after the opener, it appears Ivanova is back on Babylon 5. Why would she go back? Okay, well, we've addressed that one already, right? It's that they, right. they had to move the episode this, this, that around. So, so yeah, there was, a, there was a technical reason for that, not a story reason, more or less. Okay, uh, she says, when the shadows took their vessels beyond the rim of the galaxy, what happened to the beings that were integrated with their ships? That's a good question. Because I never got question. the sense that the shadows were actually in the shadow ships. It was other people in the shadow ships. Yeah, that was flat out stated that it was the mm-hmm. other. That it was humans for the most part that were driving them. That's that's a darn good question. I'm assuming that a bus on Zaha Doom cranked up and carried the shadows <laughs> into the beyond the rim land. While right. that, and I don't. Yeah, I don't know. With all the little shadows going. The wheels on the bus go around. <laughs> yeah, the fingers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> little claws. Oh yeah, I, I want the. I need. I need a plushy shadow now. Um, <laughs> absolutely, they're lovable suddenly. But you know that does fit in though with the idea that even though we had this somewhat peaceful resolution, it was not really a peaceful resolution because, like you said, all the people on those big ships got killed, and if we lost all the people on those uh, shadow ships. 
that's, I mean, right. there were a lot of casualties, even though it could have been a lot worse, you know? I mean, right. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's see. The childlike nature of the Vorlons and shadows toward Lorien, although understandable as he is a parent figure, seemed out of step with their malevolence and violence displayed toward the younger races. I, I get that. I, I 100% agree, which is why I've kind of been teasing about it all episode and all last episode. But on the other hand, that was kind of the point. So I'm kind of wanting to let it allow it. You know, I'm, right. I'm yeah. struggling with it because it's. What Leah is saying here is right, that it goes to an absurd level. But I'm also saying that was the point, was that when you turn around and put the Shadows and the Vorlons with Lorien, they do become like Veer and and Lanier, basically, you know, right. talk, talking to Sheridan or something. Because they are they are like humans talking to Vorlons. Yes. They're talking to Lor- Lorien, I mean... Right. We're used to seeing them being the dominant species because both of them were the dominant species. But now that they have Lorian, Lorian's like their great-grandfather. I mean, he's that far above them. He was ancient before they were even evolved into whatever it was that they evolved from. So, yeah, that they are being very deferential to him, and, and I think it makes perfect sense. And note that Lorian is not the tall, wizard-looking guy. He's actually a big, golden, orange ball of light. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And like a super Vorlon. Right. Would would it have made? Would it have been more dramatically uh, satisfying if Lorian had come out of his human form mm. and was a giant ball of intimidating light? You know, looking down at the the Vorlon in the shadow. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Because that's kind of what was going on. I, that's certainly right. how the Vorlons and the shadows probably were seeing him. Right. They knew, right. They knew who he was and what he was. Right, we the viewers didn't get that the impact of that though. Right, right. I'm gonna also go further and say, you know, we talked about his ship. I bet his ship just disappeared, just dissolved. I bet his ship existed because he wanted it to exist. Right, and when right. he quit wanting it to exist, it just poof and went away like like a like a puff yep. of dust. I bet that's what yep. happened. Um, Delenn, uh, some more of Leah's questions. Delenn was reluctant to bring the first ones into the fight at Coriana Six and keep them in reserve, wondering how much worse she would have let things get if she had her way. Woo, yeah. Leah, Leah throwing down the hot takes. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Yes, bring it. I, I thought I thought the same thing when she was making that argument. I'm like, eh, what are you waiting for? I mean, there is no well, fifth quarter to the football game. Yeah, yeah. Well, but Smiling Johnny didn't want to use uh, draw against the, uh, the Earth Alliance. True. I'm like... You know, if you're all locked up in jail on Earth, draw ain't doing you much good. So you right. need to pl- play your cards while you're still in the game. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. Well, uh, she says, who was the woman in the veil that was speaking for the Vorlons? Every, everyone else was represented by one of the other characters except her. Why use someone unique for the Vorlons? Well, because the other ones were the shadows aspects, and they were trying to be confusing. I, 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 The Vorlon, to me, the woman was just like generic, I'm surprised it wasn't Lita in a way, right? Kind of. I mean, because yeah. she was the ambassador, but, right, or the the agent but, assistant, right? But the shadows using people that we were familiar with just shows how insidious they were. Yeah. Yes. And Chaos. The Vorlons. The Vorlons are using just an artificial representation of what of a person you know they perceive of of humans would be. So yeah, yes. they, they didn't want to use a specific. Human, they were using right an right. ancient, immobile 
representation of even. Yeah. And that's the in story reason, and then the out story reason is it was cheap. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was cheaper than all the CGI they'd had to use. Right. This is yet another reason why I would have loved to have seen, and we'll hopefully still get the reboot, because with more special effects money, modern special effects, just think how Into the Fire would have looked. If Lorian and- is like Galactus or something, and the, and the, what we were just talking about there with that, I mean, oh my gosh, I mean. I, I'm becoming more and more convinced after watching these episodes, there is no way JMS would retread the same ground. It would be an entirely different story. It'd just a completely different, different. Yeah. He wouldn't hit the same story beats. He wouldn't. No. So we, I mean, it, it's not going to even be a remake. It's going to be a pure reboot, I think. Yeah, I think so. Because you, you can't, you can't do better than how, I mean, budget wise, you could do better, but mm. telling the story, mm. I mean, you really couldn't tell it better. Right. You know, it, it's like that 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 remake of the the uh, what was it the Bates Motel movie? Oh, Psycho. Yeah, Psycho. I mean, it was a he used the exact same script. It was a, a word for word remake of the movie, and it was completely frivolous and, and mm. senseless. I mean, what, yeah. what, you know, yeah. So you 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 can't make this any better than what it is. You'd I have agree. to do something different. I I but I regardless of that, and I agree with you. I still want to see it. <laughs> I want Agreed. more. I want more. Agreed. I, want more. I do too. I, yep. I, I'm as as glorious and beautiful as this series was. He has grown as a writer, and now that he has this experience behind him, yes, how glorious and awesome would it be? I mean, to to see what else he has. I mean, I I, I I'm super excited for seeing what he's got. Amen. Um, let's see. Last couple of things from Leah. Lorian said he waited a long time for someone to find him. Was he living on Zahadum and waiting for someone to find him there? Was he a prisoner of the shadows waiting for rescue? There is still so much unknown about him. And we talked a little bit about that already, but it's right. not really. You're, she's right. There's a lot of unknown and a lot we'll just never know. I think the shadows were living there despite him. Not. Th- I don't think he. they were keeping him there. They were more like almost like a cult living around him. I think they were there because he was there. He was there right, first. Exactly. And they right. were there was, because they're like worshiping him or almost right, or kind of around right. his fire. I, I certainly don't think he was a prisoner of them. No, no, I agree. Yeah. I think he's there just kind of biding his time, waiting on King Arthur to come along. And the shadows are like, it's Lorien. Let's go build our little city there with Lorien. Yay. And that's... I think they may have built their city there to prevent anybody from finding the sword in the stone. Oh. And you know what? Whether you are right or wrong philosophically, you are right in effect because who could have? Right. Nobody wanted to go there. Nobody could go there. They, who who they could go there? Scared, right, you, they were scared to death. You know, the only way somebody could go there is if they went out and invited him and brought him back yeah. and said, come, let us show you what it's really all about. Your, right. your brainwashed wife would be happy to come and bring you back. Yeah. Right. Isn't that something? I God, I hadn't put all that together before, but nobody could go and find Lorian because nobody could get past the freaking shadows at the front door. Yeah. But but the thing was that King Arthur, as we've been well, there's I know this is confusing that we're using this metaphor because they're actually <laughs> right. what are the odds? What are the odds there actually was a King Arthur episode? Right. But the <laughs> metaphorical King Arthur of our little metaphor here, okay. Right. 
He got to pull the sword out of the stone, metaphorically, because the shadows themselves went and brought him in the front door without shooting him. I, I think that's called hubris. Wow. Wow. I hadn't put all that together. Yeah. And then he turned him down and jumped and blew him all straight to hell, as he is wont to do, because he's John Sheridan. And by so he blew them all straight to hell, and then he sent them all straight to hell. He did. And, and then he met Lorian as a consequence of that. But you know what? It wasn't Lorian that told him to jump down there and meet him, was it? No, that was Kosh. It was Kosh. How about that? Yeah. Layers upon layers. Yeah. Interesting. Man, see... This is what my wife doesn't understand. She's like, what do you have to talk about this show? I'm like, there's so much. Right? There's so much to talk about right? this show, man. If we weren't married, we could sit here for three or four hours and talk about this show. Well, we are anyway. It's going on It's it's going on midnight your time. Bless you. Bless you. We're getting close to the end, though. All right. But this stuff is too good. we got to go through this. This is too good. Okay. She said, um, oh, a few more things. All right. She said, I found Lorian's counseling of Ivanov. If these people would stop making such great points, we could wrap this up. <laughs> but they keep making good points, and I'm like, oh, we got to talk about that. Okay, she says, I found Lorian's counseling of Ivanov be pretty cynical. He talks about the futility of love and how it's an illusion and tells Ivanov she should embrace that which I, this, it, it, which I found odd. Okay. Yeah, we, we talked about this already, and we agree, so... All right, she says, there were some scenes which I truly loved. Londo's breakdown after finding out Morden ordered the killing of Adira, masterful along with his conversation with Morden, 100% agree. Uh, I found it amusing that Morden was sporting a Cartagia crest. Yeah, he well, he did have the big hair going, didn't he? Did you notice that? Morden kind of had it, the big was, hair. It was a little extra uh, floofy. Yeah, it was a pompadour, he was, maybe. He was extra floofy. I like that, yeah. I think that was more of them showing that he have, has regained his full health. Yeah, yeah, and couldn't find a good barber on Zahadoom. Right. So she she says, although after his shadow escorts were killed, again, people think there were two. I promise you guys, there was only one shadow. Dude was shooting the wall, okay? One guy shot the shadow, the other guy shot the wall. Go back and watch it. Don't take I, my word for it. Go back and watch it. I bet you five American dollars and a pack of spoo, there's only one shadow. Okay. Um, says, uh, after the shadow escorts were killed, the crest seemed to disappear. Was Morden crestfallen? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Dad joke. Nice. From Leah. Uh, the battle scenes and the views of the fleet were amazing. We agreed. The scene when Sheridan and Delenn confront the Vorlons and Shadows and the White Star and the fleet comes to protect their ship and Lorian's speech to them, except as noted above with their childlike attitudes. Yep. And then when Londo and Veer embrace, there's a look of genuine affection on Londo's face. Oh, I agree. I think yep. that this whole season, I think this whole season four, Londo has completely appreciated Veer. Absolutely. Totally. He's got, yes. Yep. He sees them as an equal. And she wraps it up. Her segment of our show. <laughs> she did a great job. <laughs> says, all in all, I enjoyed this episode, although I don't think it's my favorite. For me, it was a... Br you better hold on to something. We're both sitting down. If this was a live video show, people could see our reaction. We could call it Van and Andy react to our patrons rating <laughs> Babylon 5. For me, it was a 3.5. <laughs> Woo! Uh, I know how you feel. 
<laughs> that was what I, you gave War Without End, that wasn't it? Exactly what I gave War Without End. Wow. Yeah. See? See? Wow. And what's great is she loves this show just as much as I do, you know? So Yeah. We can we can not see eye to eye with everybody and still appreciate the show. Well, all I can say to that is Wrong! <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, that was great. Leah and Allison and, uh, uh, oh, the Geek Boy. Thank you guys so much. There's, let's yes. see, a uh, couple more things that have come in that I before I did. Uh, I, I had somebody posting on my personal Facebook page, a, a fan okay. of ours. Do Pete it. Pete Furman. Okay. Um, and he said, that, see, he was very, very subtle about his feelings about this. So let's see if you can suss out what he thought about this episode. Have fun debating one of the worst endings to a long-term arc in history. Looking forward to hearing it. <laughs> so, and I well, know he's a huge Babylon Five fan. So, yeah, he fell on the side of not appreciating this episode, like you. Wrong. Wrong. It's. I think it's a perfectly valid point of view. You know that it. This, as we said, this episode went against expectations, and some people want certain things from their their their. You know, their stories. And there's nothing well, at all wrong with that. If, if he was my brother, I would say... My, my brother is possessed by the devil and must be <laughs> examined. <laughs> That's what I would say. All right. Jimiroquai, uh, which I assume is a Narn name morphed with a human name, says... Is it, isn't Jamerqui a uh, rapper or something like that? Oh, or maybe hip-hop? so. I, I apologize. It looks, it looks, yeah. looks Narn to me, but that's fine. And they, <laughs> they simply say, predicting Van's most B5 moment is, get the hell out of our galaxy. And it, it actually, my most B5 moment was the entire episode, but that was my favorite moment or whatever. So, yeah. 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 Good, good guess. Um, I've always loved that, that line. In fact, that line, we'll, see, we'll hear it again later uh, in yes. season five. Uh, Allison, oh, Allison came back with another thing. She said the first ones in their ships are the Walkers of Sigma Nine Five Seven have the Disco Ball ship. The Kirishiak Lords have the round one with the spike points. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Torvalis Speculators. Oh, come on. Disc with the protruding plates. That sounds like Man. somebody from Star Trek: The Next Generation. The Torvalis Speculators. <laughs> the Mind Riders are the stone pineapple-looking ship. <laughs> Yeah. I can't picture any of these, but they sound awesome. The triad or the ship with the three legs that shoots the particle beam. This yeah. comes from apparently this comes from Wars of the Ancients book from Agents of Gaming 2001. Yeah, I know they made the little miniatures, and I have some of them yeah. upstairs. I have the, I have a really cool Narn ship, a couple of Centauri's, yeah. uh, a couple of Omega destroyers, and a White Star. So yeah. I have stuff. a good friend who probably had a hand in casting those exact miniatures that you have in your possession. Oh wow! He worked. He worked for Agents of Gaming for a long time and did That's a awesome. lot of that casting. That's so awesome. Yeah, you had it. They were they were kind of crude. They were beautiful little thingies, but they were kind of you had to do a lot of filing. When I was building yeah. those, I had a big metal filing of uh, metal file that I would just yeah. all around <laughs> get them nice and smooth. And I had super glue, and I ruined my fingers for years <laughs> getting that super glue on my fingers, man. You get super glue you on your will, fingers. You, you will never be st- able to be identified by your fingerprints. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like it's not like you get stuck to the ceiling and hang there like in a commercial or something, but it just takes the skin off of your yes. hands, man. It's awesome. Uh, awful. Um, 
She said, Veer's joking about Cartage in the long night carries through to this episode when Londo tells Veer to kill him as the Vorlon fleet threatens to destroy Centauri Prime. Yeah, because he said, you know, kill kill Londo. And, well, right, yeah. exactly. It was a little bit of foreshadowing. I didn't think of that. Good one, Allison. Yes. And then she said, last thing, I have read, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that B5 was the first to give space texture in the fact that there are dust clouds and star matter, I guess the nebulas and stuff. Yeah. As right. the Hubble and James Webb have shown, space is just beautiful. Absolutely, yes. And that's we talked about yeah. that, too, yeah. Uh, and then last thing, Leah G. came back with one other question I thought of. Who was minding Babylon 5 during the battle? Andy, I think I, we know who was minding Babylon 5 during the battle. Mr. Garibaldi. Oh, yeah. sorry. No, Atumbe was. Major Atumbe <laughs> was doing it, yes. I, I thought he went back with after the Severed Dreams. <sighs> You know, I wonder if Major Tumbe was a loyalist or a rebel in the great yeah. Severed Dreams War of 2260. Maybe that's why Garibaldi had to stay back at Babylon 5 because Tumbe wasn't around to take care of things. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, I can't imagine Garibaldi up running the whole station. No. Oh, my gosh. No, especially no. not Surly Mr. Garibaldi. Sir, I, you know what? I don't... I, I just don't see Atumbe as being a Clarker. I, I, I think he yeah. would still be around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, but we do know that there's at least one Commander Babylon 5 that was a Clark supporter. Yeah. It's well. coming up. We'll get spoiler, spoiler. Speaking of which, all right, so we got one last little spoiler thing. Our next installment, we will get on with the thing with the timeline. We'll be 407 Epiphanies. As I said before, I have no idea what happens in that episode. I can't wait to find out. Um spoil oh, oh, oh going through the jump gate. Jump gate activated. All right, so we're going into spoiler space, and I only have a couple of things. I've been promising this since the last episode. Um, the shadows do have allies, and that's going to be a major part of season five. Mm-hmm. And crusade. And crusade, right? I was going to say Which, it goes even beyond that. And the Centauri trilogy by Peter David. Yes. That's um, the Drock. Yeah. And they're pretty freaking scary. They are scary. Yeah. I mean, in and some we ways... Haven't seen, we haven't really even seen anything from them up... Not yet. I mean, at all. Not yet. It's like, why weren't they involved I, with the Shadow War? I want to say this that the Drock make their first appearance in that episode where Delenn goes out in the ship by herself and runs into one of them. Right. And he comes on board and kind of warns her stuff and they kick him off and whatever, you know? Yeah. They were creepy. Yeah. But um, but yeah, the, I think it's because the sh- to me the shadows are so alien that they're almost just like not even, you know, they just barely even seem real. But the Drock are like, like if you know, they're like Hollywood monsters as villains. They're more like you know the Nazgul or something. They're right, they're right. more palpable villains that you could actually imagine being yeah. in a room with. You know, right. Fro- yeah. Frodo wasn't running away from Sar- Sauron. He was running away from the Witch King. Right, exactly. Yeah. He was yeah. the guy that was in, in his face. We talked about what became of Zahadum in the Vorlon homeworld. All right. So we know what becomes of Zahadum. It gets blowed up. Yeah. They blow it up real good. And that was to kind of get rid of any. They didn't. The Shadows didn't want their tech falling into the hands of anybody that wasn't already on their side and didn't already have their stuff. So I think the right. Drock kind of pack up their ships and go with their stuff, and then they blow it up. Yep. Yeah. Um, the Vorlon homeworld, I mentioned this in the last episode, I believe, There, it is possibly addressed in two other episodes. One is Jason Ironheart, who we haven't talked about in a long time, from Mind War. Yeah. 
He said, I will return in a million years. And it was sort of alluded to that maybe that's when humans come to the point that they can go beyond the rim and join the first ones. So will Ironheart come back and and like be Lorien to the humans, escorting them yeah. beyond the rim? Yeah. How about, how about Interesting. that? Interesting. The that other episode cool. that mentions something about this is the deconstruction of falling stars, which is the episode I touched on very briefly uh, earlier, right? That's the one that was made especially to plug in in place of Sleeping in Light at the end of season four. I, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let me just to clarify with everybody. Yeah. So, Sleeping in Light, the series finale, 522, basically, was filmed right. as the end of season four when they didn't think there would be a season five. When, when JMS found right. out there would be a season five, he moved Sleeping in Light from 422 to 522, right. which is why Ivanova's in it, but not, uh, but not Lockley, okay? And he had to create a new season finale for season four, which is why Deconstruction of Falling Stars feels more like season five than it does season four in some ways. That's interesting. And I don't know if it has Ivanova in it or not. Um if it does, barely, and they probably had to pay her extra something. But anyway, um, right? It because it was it'd be an extra episode, and she she'd already done twenty two. Um, but deconstruction is jumping ahead in the future, and what I was alluding to was it answers the question: the ability of one man to change or one person to change the history, right? And right. it argues that it is possible for one person, and and it was Sheridan, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, well, and at the end of it, again, spoilers because we're in spoiler space. At the end of Deconstructed Falling Stars, that human turns into like a human Vorlon and flies off, and it's supposed to be a million years in the future, and Earth's sun is going nova. So there's right. always been a question: Are they taking humans to the Vorlon homeworld? Oh. So it comes up obliquely yeah. in two episodes right. other than this, and I don't know. Right. I don't, yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah. And what I was saying earlier that's kind of a spoiler is we know from third space that we're not done with the Vorlons' uh, leftovers because they left all kinds of crap. What is right. it? Le- Le- I think it's Lita that says something like, they said something like, yeah, we beat that one thing that the Vorlons left out. We beat that. And Lita's like, one, one of so many. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, great. Thanks, Vorlons, for leaving time bombs all in hyperspace to pop out occasionally and give us fits. And That's great. That That is when the Babylon 5 crew turned against Lita right there. See? Mm, yeah. Because she well, said that. They're like, ooh, we got to kick her out of our quarters well, now. Well, Zach was mad because he gave this whole impassioned speech to her about how he's falling <laughs> in love with her. And she's a zombie and doesn't hear a word of it. And he thinks she's blowing him off. And you're just right. like, oh, right. God, come on. <sighs> All right. La- last last spoiler thing, and this is a question I've got to know, and we're going to end on this, and I think it's worthwhile. Andy, we know at the end of Sleeping in Light that John Sheridan, much like Frodo, going into the West, right? Sheridan has been a ring bearer, and he goes into the West. Does Delenn ever go beyond the rim? Ooh. I say no. Mm. I, you know what I? I would have said no, but now, but that was because I never really thought of the question before. But now right. that I've thought of the question, 
I demand that she get to go beyond the rim with John. I demand yeah. it. All right. I want to. I'm. I'm going to ask JMS this on Twitter. All right. I'm going to tweet it's it at him. Response. Yeah. He he responds, responds to stuff on there. He does. Honestly. He really I'll does. See. I'm going to ask him right now. As soon as we're done, I'm going to ask him, and we will report back if he answers on our next episode. I look forward to to seeing that tweet. Do, if you were in charge of making the decision, would Delenn go beyond the rim or not? Yes. Hundred percent. Yes. 100%. She was a ring bearer. She deserves to be. She, yeah, she deserves to be with John. If well, that too. And if if you were Intel Za, I think you should go. And they were the two yeah. Intel Za and Valen. Right, absolutely. Valen gets to go yeah. too. In fact, he probably she, already has. Right. Right. She was. She was one. Yeah. She was the one who is. Yeah. All the ones. Yeah. Should all three of should, the all three of the ones. <laughs> should, should, yeah. Should, should should we send a Zathras with them? Zathras is beyond the rim. I mean, <laughs> that's what that's what you get when you get beyond the rim is is just millions upon millions of Zathrai. Oh, gosh, that's okay. I don't want any of them to go now. <laughs> <laughs> I take it all back. He's running Taco Bell. Right. He's running the Taco Bell. <laughs> Zathras happy to make you taco and enchilada. Yes. <laughs> This taco, very bad. Never eat this. No, very bad. <laughs> oh, golly. Zathras hey, you know trained what? in deep fryer management. <laughs> there is always a point in time in our, our podcast where things just go right off the rails. It's so. just going off the rail. We need to I, wrap I this thing up before right. we still have any credibility right. left. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Listeners, patrons, don't give up on us. Come back for some more fun <laughs> next time. In our next episode, yeah, we will be doing 407 Epiphanies within which I have no freaking clue what happens. I'm imagining somebody gets kidnapped by Richard Maul, and that's all I can... But that's probably not, you, but that's do, all I Do you want me to spoil it for you at all? No. I want to okay. watch it cold and be like, oh, all that! Right. That! Yeah, that, that, that's going to be your reaction. That's totally... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember, like, within five seconds, but right now, yeah. honestly, you could tell me anything. I'd be like, okay, sure, yeah. All right, it is three minutes after... It's two... Minutes after midnight. And so Andy's got to go to bed. So Andy, thank you for giving it all for the listeners and the patrons tonight. We appreciate it. This has been an extended fun conversation of two ep- two full podcast episodes about Into the, Into the Fire. All right. It, it has, it, it's been fun. I really thoroughly enjoy this. I should have had a Red Bull instead of my uh, Gatorade, but... <laughs> hey, I had my milkshake on the way home, and it got me through all this. I'm about to go right. crash and pass out and sleep for a week now, but uh, I, ha- right, I, ha- I, need, I needed this energy to get through this episode. I don't, the, I'm not nearly this energetic on our usual podcast on most of them, but I, I needed it to get through all this because this was a marathon. We're not going to do this too often, but... I'm glad we could bust the whole thing out tonight. So that was good. Yeah, it was it was good. It was fun. It's always fun talking to you, man. All right. I don't ever want to talk about Babylon 5 again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding, baby. All right, Andy, we will talk to you uh, down the road, and we get into 407. Have a good evening, sir. And, and you know what? I'm glad that this is the last controversial episode we'll have to talk about when it comes to Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that'll <laughs> never never happened again we've moved beyond uh, we've gone beyond the rim of controversial episodes everybody we'll see all right, you man. all at, we'll see you all at the great taco bell beyond the rim <laughs> take care buddy this has been a white rocket entertainment production 